My guest today is candidate Daryl Glenn. Daryl's lived in Colorado Springs for 55 years and is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. He retired from the Air Force as a lieutenant colonel after 21 years of combined active duty and reserve service. Daryl served for eight years on the Colorado Springs City Council and was elected to two terms on the El Paso County Board of Commissioners, on which he served as president during his final term in office. While on the county commission, he also served as chairman of the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council and chairman of the Regional School Safety Task Force. Daryl was the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in 2016, where he lost to incumbent Michael Bennett and ran against Doug Lamborn in the primary for U.S. Representative in 2020. He now serves as the Chief Legal Officer for a Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Human Trafficking Prevention Service Agency. He is a member of the El Paso County Bar Association and is a trustee of the Penrose St. Francis Community Board. For more information about Daryl and his campaign, you can visit his website at DarylGlennForColorado.com. That's DarylGlenn, the number four, Colorado.com. Daryl, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Good. One of the things I'm doing, I'm starting every one of these interviews with the same question. So it's kind of a two-part question. Sure. One, why are you running for mayor? And then why do you think you're the best person for the position? Well, in my opinion, you know, we have reached a critical juncture in, in Colorado Springs. I personally believe Colorado Springs has a special anointing. Uh, I grew up here. Uh, this is my hometown. And when I look at what's happening from a you know global level, national issues that are coming up, it's time to step up. And I believe that you know God has placed me in this position to where it's time to lead. And my number one priority and concern is the health and safety of this community. Uh, I want to be very clear. Uh, I want Colorado Springs to be the safest city in the nation. My primary focus, when I'm looking at all the things that we're going to do, we're going to be pointing to that North Star. We're going to be pointing that mission with regard to how do we make Colorado Springs the safest city in the nation? Because crime, when you're out talking to people, people are very concerned about that. So that will be my focus when I'm looking at all our programs, everything that we're, we're doing. How do we enhance that mission and becoming the safest city in the nation? Great. Talk a little bit about, again, your your background, again, why you feel like you are the best person to do this. Lived here for over 50 years. This is my home. Um, I have been blessed where God has placed a lot of people in my life, and I am truly grateful for, you know, the lessons that I've learned, uh, whether it's uh, being able to spend time as a city council member, uh, as a county commissioner. I went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, I believe that I have the skill set and the roots to be able to understand what's happening with regard to the times that we're in, because we are at a critical juncture in, in our society, and there are major challenges. When you're looking at what's happening within our families, we're $31 trillion in debt. Uh, we're concerned about you know, what's our safety in this community and our ability to be able to provide that safety for people so that they can live, work, and play here in this community. Those are things that I believe that I have the background and experience, uh, both through the public sector and just being somebody that grew up here, that I can share with people and be able to provide that leadership. So what, as you, 
you talked about public safety as being kind of that that primary mm-hmm. issue, but that and what are a couple of other like your primary issues that you think are most critical for the community right now? Well, and that's going to be tied into that because you know one I think it'd be very clear that number one I want to make sure that people understand that when we're looking at our strategic objectives, it's going to be based on making sure that we have a safe community. But after that, I want to look at every single program that we're doing, because I think that we need to be more lean and efficient as a city government. So I'm going to be looking at ways to where we can actually look at the programs to determine whether or not some of the programs that we're doing, are they best served in the private sector? Uh, Because COVID has permanently changed how we do things. The expansion of government into areas of our lives has to be addressed. And I think that as a community, we are too reliant on federal and state funding that we need to become more uh, locally sustainable with regard to how we fund core services, how we're looking at uh, as far as the essential goods and services, and looking at the regulations that are in place, because I think it's important to be able to say, look, you know, COVID has created a lot of restrictions Government regulations that come with financial strings have created a lot of restrictions. What can I do as your government leader to be able to free you up to be able to maximize your property rights, uh, maximize your freedoms and liberties, your business interests? That's going to be my job to be able to identify those areas, but work with city council and making sure that we are able to actually come up with a way to free us from that so that we can become more locally efficient and stand up for home rule authority. This, these are things that are critical at this point in time. In your either political career or business career or military career, what's something that you've accomplished that you're most proud of? Well, two things. Uh, number one, uh, being a black person that grew up in this community uh, without a chip on my shoulder was not allowed to do that. You know, I'm fighting against the fact that, you know, historically, when you're looking at this community, there are people that try to say that we're this racist, sexist, homophobic community and try to paint us in this label. And and I'm a living example that uh, God can place people in your life to allow you to be able to maximize your potential. And the people that he placed in my life did not allow me to use that as an excuse and said that, look, if you work hard, uh, you can actually achieve, you know, your dreams. So that is very critical. And that my faith is very instrumental in how I want to govern. And I can give you an example of the, the moment that changed my life, especially in political office, was during the Black Forest Fire. Uh, this was something that devastated community, having come off the Waldo Canyon Fire. Uh, and this fire was in my district. And just being able to spend time with people that woke up one day and all of a sudden their lives were changed and understanding the impact of that and understanding the impact that people are relying on you not just to be, you know, some government leader, but they want you to understand the pain that they're going through and they're relying on you to paint a vision on how that, you know, they can help. And for me, I had to really dig deep into my faith uh, because, like I said, this was a devastating event. Yeah. And that forever changed, you know, my philosophy with regard to providing public service and the importance of making that connection with people because they really depend on you. Yeah. 
let's say you get elected mayor. How would you describe your leadership style? Uh, no nonsense. Uh, day one, we will be coming out and making a formal declaration that our goal is to become the safest city in the nation. Uh, we're going to stand up for freedom and liberty. Uh, we're going to make sure that we're going to look at every single program uh, that we're doing and evaluate it from the standpoint is, is it uh, working in conjunction with that mission that I identify? But we also want to make sure that we need to become more lean and efficient. So if we're funding programs that are best left for the private sector, I'm going to be looking at uh, coming up with a plan uh, to eliminate those programs and reprioritize those dollars back into core services. I'm also going to be very uh, um, active with working with uh, our city attorney's office. Our city attorney's office is going to be very busy. Uh, people are going to get arrested. Uh, I have a no-tolerance policy with regard to, to panhandling. I have a no-tolerance policy when it comes to the crime. If you're going to come to our community and you're going to uh, – everybody's welcome. Uh, I want people to come here, spend money. That's great. But this is our family. But if you're going to come here to do harm to our family, you're going to be arrested. And I just want to be very clear about that. Uh, I want people to feel safe within their homes, within their communities, because that's how I grew up. And I want to make sure people understand that we're serious about that. And I want to send a clear message that we want you to, we welcome you here, but we want you to be here and be respectful for everybody that's going to be here. So in terms of looking at, efficiencies with some of those services what about combining some things with the county i know there's probably some already that the city and county may share or whatever but is is there anything to be gained there by by looking at ways to share services with the county hey we've been talking about this since 2003 when i first got on city <laughs> council i think you always look at ways to especially when you start talking about core functions you want to look at that but I can tell you, though, my priority is really looking at the things that are what I would call nice-to-do programs. Okay. Uh, because I think first you need to look internally. Uh, I think that we're funding things that we should not be funding. Uh, when you start, I want us to have the smallest footprint within our family's lives as possible. People are struggling, and I don't think we do enough times, especially as leaders, going out and talking to people. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Savings is down, and uh, people are struggling to find good employees. And the, the one thing that we need to be able to do is, from a government standpoint, is have the smallest footprint that we can to impact our lives. The government is not here to be your friend. It's not here to be your social calendar. The government is here to provide our core functions and be as lean and as efficient as possible, treat people with dignity and respect when it comes to that, but try to have as little impact on your life as possible. We've gone way beyond that. COVID has reached areas of in, into our life that we never want us, you know, the government into, and that needs to be eliminated. The only issue on this April's ballot is the extension of the TOPS mm -hmm. tax. Where do you come down on that? Are you supportive of it or against it? Well, I'm supportive of the concept of TOPS. I am not supportive of this particular question. It's asking for a 20-year extension, uh, way too long. Uh, when I'm looking at, you know, when you're looking at the fiscal condition of, of the nation, uh, of the city and everything like that, I think that that's way too long. I would say maybe up to 2031. I think that it binds future administrations. It takes away flexibility on some of the things that you can do. The concept of TOPS is parks and those types of things fall within my core areas of infrastructure that I want to focus in on. 
But I think that we can throw more money at that by reprioritizing some of those dollars away from non-essential services into those areas. But I think going out 20 years to commit that type of funding is irresponsible at this point in time. Along those lines, still talking about parks a little bit, and this may play into some of what you just said about the finding places to cut and redirecting dollars. Back in 2008, I think you were on council, Mm -hmm. before the big recession, parks was about 8.4% of the budget. Today, it's 5.9%. Again, actual hard dollars have increased, but its emphasis within the budget has decreased. Would you support trying to get that percentage back up, or how, how do you intend to look at the budget? Yeah, I, I look at our parks, our trails, I look at our, you know, our curb and gutter. Those are, those are part of the core infrastructure, and that's why I'm saying that we need to be focusing in on those types of things. When you think about public safety standpoint, I'll give you a, an example. You know, I, I had the privilege of, you know, my mom trusted me when I was a kid. I used to be able to go out to the corner, jump on the bus, go to the Citadel, be able to hang out there all day long, uh, go into our neighborhood parks, and, you know, really just be home by dark. And there really wasn't concern. That is a myth right now. And when we start talking about being able to have a neighborhood park that you can allow your kids to go to, being able to, especially some of our older neighborhoods, be able to walk around on, on the sidewalk, we take these for granted. And that's why I'm saying some of the nice-to-do things, we need to eliminate those and allow the private sector to be able to deal with that so we can reprioritize those dollars into core services, curb and gutter, sidewalks, roads, parks, that's infrastructure. That contributes to a safe community. That's going to be my priority. So one of the big issues right now going on uh, with the city, city council is getting ready for a third vote, is the new water rule, where they're possibly, at least right now, the rule is 128% of the water supply necessary to serve the community and any property that wants to annex in. How do you feel about that rule? Where do you kind of come down on that? Well, I think that, you know, people outside of the, you know, the group that came up with that are like, well, how'd you come up with, first it was 130 and then all of a sudden got down to 128. And people are like, okay, come on. Uh, I do believe you need to have a water rule. Uh, The percentage is something that I think we have to have more of a public discussion because whether that's too low or too high, I'm thinking that it might even need to be higher than 130. But we need to have a consensus opinion that the public buys into that before we grow, this needs to be a factor into that because I believe that our policy with regard to growth, annexations, or whatever, we first need to make sure that we provide for what is already in existence within our community. And do we have enough water to be able to address some of the challenges that we're going to be facing in the future with regard to water supply shortages, with regard to fire issues? When you're looking at the Colorado River Basin, what's happening at the federal level? We better start taking proactive steps to make sure we shore up our water supply um, before we do anything. So I'm absolutely in support of a rule and holding us accountable and holding off against any future annexations until we're actually able to sustain our community. Because if we can't make sh- if we can't provide for the people that have already bought in and paid for our system, then we shouldn't be bringing more people into the city and stretching uh, our water supply challenges along with our core services. Part of that issue, again, when you start talking about annexation and housing supply and all of that, it kind of 
often naturally leads to a discussion about affordable housing or attainable housing. What is your position on the affordable housing issue? How do you think as mayor you'd maybe be able to have an impact on that? Is it or would it not be a priority necessarily? Well, well, I think this issue has been completely hijacked. Number one, you know, when you start thinking about affordable housing, you know, they're, affordable is in the eye of the beholder. I don't think the government should be putting its hand on the scale with regard to determine affordability. Uh, it's a privilege to live here. And quite frankly, some people might not be able to afford to live here. We need to actually be able to be okay saying that. But I think to use government dollars to be able to artificially influence attainability and affordability is not the direction that we need to go. I think that we first need to, before we just say, hey, let's add more inventory, do we actually have enough of our core services to be able to sustain what we have, and especially when it comes to water and public safety, and then deal with that first? Instead of just let's add more inventory thinking that that's somehow going to bring the price down. I don't know about you, but when I went out and I bought my home, and when you're looking around, you looked at your budget and you determined whether or not you are going to be able to afford to live there. And people need to look at their finances and determine whether or not they can actually afford to live there. And if they can't, they might have to move. There's no fundamental right, like I said, to an affordable home. One of the other public safety issues that's that's being talked about right now uh, is homelessness. So, again, as long as I've lived here, it's been a topic. What's kind of your take on where that might, what what might be able to be done to help that situation? First, we need to recognize that that's a community issue instead of a law enforcement issue. I think it's been pushed off uh, to police and fire to be able to hear you guys deal with it. This is a community responsibility. I also think that we, I am personally going to be challenging the private sector, uh, challenging the faith-based community, challenging nonprofits out there to actually step up and be a part of the solution and not the problem because people can, can actually work to bring people, whether it's in their homes or they can help them with the gap with regard to being able to help them with their deposit to be able to get into homes. We need to look at our codes and regulations because I can tell you, you know, my wife and I, we've been helping out an individual that has transitioned back and forth through homelessness. And some of the barriers that are in place where when you can only stay in a place for a week, but then you have to move out. Uh, but the individual might have enough money to be able to pay the weekly rate, but doesn't have enough to, for the deposit. These are areas where the faith-based community can step up and do that. Same thing with nonprofits. But it's not just the responsibility of the city. This is a community issue that needs to be addressed. It is absolutely unacceptable for people to be living out in conditions like that. But we also have to recognize the fact that sometimes these are quality of life choices where there are people that want to live that lifestyle. But uh, And before I go to the next question, there might be people that they're, they're homeless, but they have a relative in a different city. Why aren't we helping move them? Yeah. I'm, I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor with working to try to come together, whether it's uh, private sector funds or whatever, to help move, relocate people. That needs to be part of the solution, too. Let's go back to public safety again. You've talked a lot about it, and it's kind of the, the pillar of your campaign. One of the things that uh, I, I think that I, from what I understand, the police department is struggling with staff, staffing issues. I've heard we're 70 or 80 officers short 
um, which obviously is going to have an impact on that ability to become the nation's safest city. Right. What are your thoughts on closing that gap, recruiting more, retention? What do you think we need to do to, to improve that? Well, I have a three-step plan with regard to, uh, you know, the public safety issue because, number one, I think that we have to recognize what uh, the removal of qualified immunity has done. Uh, it has really placed uh, police officers in a position where they have to evaluate their livelihood, everything that they've done, uh, and protecting their family and being personally uh, accountable for some of those issues that they encounter uh, when they're trying to do their jobs. So for me, that has a major impact on recruiting. And I want to be personally involved in our recruiting. I want Colorado Springs to be the destination city for anybody that's in law enforcement, whether it's police or fire. Uh, because the mayor is going to be out there. I'm going to be in the local community, going into churches, going into schools, being able to understand and make sure people understand how important it is for the community uh, to be a part of the solution. I would love it if we were able to fill all those vacancies with local people. Uh, because I think when you're looking around the community and you actually see people in law enforcement that grew up in this community, there's a tighter connection there. But if we can't, then I'm going to go to the military. We'll, we'll whatever we need to do uh, to national uh, to recruit nationally to be able to deal with this issue. But that is going to be so critical with regard to morale issues, the mayor being personally involved in it. Uh, I think that we need to be very transparent with regard to the training uh, that we're doing. But there's a level of personal responsibility. You're going to hear me out there messaging that I want to make sure that we're open with regard to our training tactics. But I also believe that we need to make sure that people understand the personal responsibility. Uh, I want people in the churches, in the schools, talking about the appropriate behavior when uh, you're encountered with a law enforcement issue and or interact with the police officer. It's a relationship that requires respect on both ends, and I don't think that that has been emphasized enough. But I also believe that we need to—I'm going to put together a coalition to fight against those laws that are hamstringing uh, our public safety and our first responders. I'm, I don't think we should just allow this public immunity issue to go away. I think we need to continue to fight that. As far as within our local community— uh, the city attorney's office is going to be very busy because I'm going to task them to look at our code. Uh, and because I do support jail time, if you're going to come to this community and you're going to do harm, whether it's to our, our person or to their property. So we are going to be looking at, in my opinion, increasing uh, jail time uh, for municipal violations. And lastly, if you are an elected official or anybody that's pushing legislation that makes our community unsafe, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. I'm going to campaign against you, and I don't care what party you're in, because my priority is making sure this community is safe, and that's what I'm going to do. Over the last few years, it seems like that public respect for that position or how the communities. I mean, we've seen controversial issues like in Memphis and all of that. That is that part of the issue with staffing? And if that respect for that position, I mean, do you feel like that might have dropped off over the last few years? How do we get that back? Well, I think it's all of the above. But again, there isn't just one solution that's there. When you're looking at it, there are bad people in every single profession. And I think that bad people should be held accountable. 
uh, whether it doesn't matter if, if you are a police officer, uh, it doesn't matter what job you're in, a, a, you know, a prof- other profession, there are always going to be bad people. But just because there are bad people that are there doesn't mean that the entire institution is wrong. I think that we need to do a better job highlighting and penalizing the people that do bad because they're ruining their reputation for everybody else that's trying to do the job the right way. So that has a major impact. And then when you're actually passing legislation that, uh, that makes your job more difficult to hold people account- accountable, that's extremely frustrating. And lastly, when you're looking at the relationship issue within the community, we need to strengthen that. And that's why I believe it's so important to use your local community to recruit from within. You should be challenging people that go, if you're concerned about the safety of your, your community, then get out there and join the force. There are plenty of vacancies in police and fire. Uh, so it is a noble prof- profession, and we want people in this community to have a vested interest. There isn't anybody that's more protective than members of your own family. So you need to stop complaining and actually get a job in those particular areas. Last November, Colorado Springs voters voted down recreational marijuana on the ballot. Did you were you supportive of the issue, opposed to the issue, and why? I can answer this two ways. Number one, I've never smoked pot. Uh, when it comes to any drug, you're never going to have me vote in favor of it. That's just my own personal philosophy. I am absolutely in favor of the fact that we finally had an opportunity to vote for it because that's what it's about. And whether it's pot or any other issue that divides the community, I support the right to place that on the ballot and allow the voters to make the decision because we're going to have to deal with it one way or the other. So while I personally was opposed to that issue, I wanted to make sure people had the opportunity to weigh in when you start talking about, is this something that we want within our community, yes or no? I think that's the best way to handle that. Council serves as the utilities board. So when you were on council, Mm -hmm. you had that experience. Energy prices right now are a huge concern for a lot of people. I I know they're a little bit of sticker shock with some of their bills. And, you know, we have Drake Power Plant that's we're looking at uh, decommissioning. Where do you see those energy issues fitting in the, the community conversation right now? I think people are frustrated. Uh, I personally hope that we don't regret the fact, but I do not support the decommissioning of Drake. Uh, I think that is a big mistake. How come? Uh, Our enemies don't care. Uh, The enemies to our national security, uh, I think that what we are doing with regard to carbon emissions and and how we're trying to uh, conform to global standards is working against us. I also think that the federal government shouldn't be propping up one sector of the energy uh, area. Uh, I support them all, uh, nuclear, you name it. But I believe that the market should be a, a driver because what's happening is the people that can least afford it are being penalized the most. Uh, whether you like solar, you name it, let it all compete. But we need to stop subsidizing these areas and propping them up as this is what we need to do to conform to what's happening at a global level. But again, when you start thinking about the threats to this country, Uh, The fact that we have jeopardized our ability to be able to do that and have a sustainable source within our community is something that I'm not in favor of, and I would have voted against. And if there's any way that we could roll that back, I would. But I don't want to, when I'm looking at what's happening up at the the Capitol, uh, 
as a home rule city, I will 100% fight against mandates that are going to be coming down from the federal or state level. And we're going to be busy in court. And that's why I'm going to need a council that's going to be able to make sure that they, they will back me up. But I am not just going to roll over and accept these standards that are trying to dictate our, our daily lives and influence our behavior. Let it all compete. But we're going to stand up for freedom and liberty. And that's an area that I think that we made a mistake. We've covered several issues. Is there anything else kind of in your priority list or kind of on your radar that we haven't talked about yet that you think is going to be critical to this community over the next four years? I do. Uh, This community needs to understand that um, uh, I believe the nation is going to be looking at us. Like I said, I believe that Colorado Springs has a special anointing. My wife and I, we literally keep coming in contact with people on a daily basis that says, there's something that brought me to Colorado Springs. And so I think that we have a leadership opportunity. When you're looking at some of the global pressures and the national pressures that are happening, whether it's a supply chain issue, whether it's the expansion of government, whether it's being able to have government influence our behavior, Colorado Springs, in my opinion, is going to be leading in this particular area. That's why I want to make sure that we understand our role, but we stand up for the freedom and liberty that I believe is critical in this area. I want to make sure that we're prepared from a supply chain standpoint to be able to support ourselves locally sustainably by having essential goods and services within our own community and not so reliant on the federal or state government. I want to be able to make sure that the rules that are governing our daily lives maximize freedom, maximize that type of liberty, and allow businesses to be creative and innovative with minimal government interference that allows people to use their property the way that they want to, to be able to help out and to maximize their property answers. But I also, number one, want us to be safe. Uh, We have five military installations, so we have a national mission. But we also have a civic civil mission with regard to being able to make sure that the people that live here feel safe. That is going to be the challenge, and I think that we are up to the challenge. Was there anything, when you were on council originally, was there anything that, after you got on council, that surprised you or kind of opened your eyes to something in the community that now, as mayor, you're like, okay, uh, I saw this before or anything like that. I mean, was there anything that, again, just kind of you went like, oh, kind of a surprise? Well, I I can tell you um, the mayor and people, you need to be the mayor for everyone. And that's going to be my philosophy. You know, there are a lot of special interest groups that spend a lot of time, you know, at council meetings. And you, I remember sitting in council meetings, and there weren't a lot of people that were in those meetings because they're working. But the special interest groups always had a representative there. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is there are a lot of major decisionings that are happening at a level uh, that people aren't aware of because they're trying to just survive. But I think that if you're in an elected position, I can tell you I'm going to hold myself accountable to this, that you have to be the mayor for everyone. I don't care if you're a CEO or a single mom. Everybody should be treated with respect. Uh, I believe it, with regard to uh, making sure that, you know, there's – when you start thinking about receiving customer service, 
excellence. It's about the customer, not about us as employees or the elective. It's about how well are we doing minimizing our footprint in your life but allowing you to be able to get things done by using the government in the way it should be used. So what um, – tell us a little bit about your campaign, how it's going, what's coming up, uh, how people might be able to learn more about you or, or have an opportunity to interact with you, any events. I mean, we've, we've joked about the 14 forums coming up yeah. and everything, but what's going on with your campaign? Well, I, I absolutely love uh, this part of the campaign, getting out and talking to people. I literally spent six months walking this entire city primarily talking to a lot of small business owners. And, you know, when you start thinking about some of the challenges they have, you're making that personal connection. I think that people would be surprised with regard to their frustration. I think that when you're looking at how we're growing, people are not comfortable with regard to our rate of growth. I think that we're growing at a rate that's unsustainable. And there are people that I would say the uh, silent majority are feeling that way. People are very concerned with regard to not feeling safe in this community. So going out there talking about that, that's what I love to do, that and putting up signs. Uh, (laughs) I guarantee you, you're going to be sick of seeing my name, but I promise I will take them down. Uh, But, uh, you know, coming up here, my wife and I have a a tremendous opportunity because, again, my wife's running for city council. So so that's fun. Uh, I think that's great because we have some hot debates uh, all the time, (laughs) you know, with regard to limited government. You know, she keeps me in check with regard to you think I'm talking about limited government. She really preaches limited (laughs) government. So uh, I think that's what. But the role that we both believe uh, our faith is what has led us into this race. And we're having an opportunity, and we look for opportunities to be able to share that journey with people and share the reason why we love this community and why we believe that Colorado Springs has been selected for this point in time uh, to provide leadership, not only with our natural world challenges, but also with some of the spiritual challenges that are out there. And we're prepared to step up with that responsibility. Okay. Website. Daryl Glenn for Colorado. That's Daryl Glenn, the number four, Colorado. Good. Yeah, and I post a video every single week. If you, uh, I, we're on week thirty-three is going to be coming up here very soon. But I want people to see, you know, the journey that I've been on. So I encourage you to go to the website. Uh, I take uh, some issues that I'm very passionate about, uh, and I want you to be able to give me some feedback. But follow the journey. Give me a call. I'll drop off a sign. I'll give you a door hanger. You name it. Uh, I, I'm open for all types of invitations and opportunities to speak to you personally. But I just want you to understand that I'm in this race because I love this community. Look, I love the job that I'm in, and I have been blessed. But this is the time that we need to take a stand. And I'm prepared to take that stand and stand up for each and every one of you. Daryl, I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for doing this. It's good to see you again. Absolutely. Let's win this. Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com.